Who are the real people we consider our sages? Who were they in life? What is the legacy they left us? Join Rabbi Danny Saxton for the next hour as he explores the lives of our Torah giants, the spiritual geniuses who shaped the way we approach Judaism today. That's Focus on Our Sages right now on 101.9 High FM. Good afternoon and welcome to Soul to Soul. Always wonderful and a great privilege to be with you on a Wednesday afternoon. Today is the seventh day of the month of Shvat in the Hebrew calendar, the 17th of January 2024. Um, so let's go through a little bit of the significant dates of this week. Um, some interesting and important insights and your sites that we are going through. So firstly, on Sunday, it was the fourth day of the month of Shvat. And it was the 40th Yotzeit of the great and holy Bava Sali. The Bava Sali's full name was Rav Yisrael Abu Khatsira, and he was the great Sfadi sage and Kabbalist known as the Bava Sali. He was born in Morocco in 1889, and he died in Eretz Yisrael in 1984. The Bava Sali made Aliyah following the creation of the State of Israel in 1948, and eventually settled in the Negev town of Nativot. There he served as a central address for Jews seeking advice, blessings, and in many cases, miracles. Stories abound of his supernatural abilities. If somebody complained about a physical malady, he would prescribe a spiritual action to rectify it. It was, if he was presented with money as a gift, he could identify if it was earned in a kosher way or not. He had elevated beyond the physical to the extent that he would eat only small morsels each day. Today his grave in the Tivot is a popular place of pilgrimage and of prayer. And on Sunday, the 40th Yotzeit of the Baba Sali, so many thousands of Jews went to his grave. Um, my son is learning in Yeshiva in Jerusalem, and together with his Yeshiva, many of the students went down to Nativot to the grave of the Baba Sali, and uh, there were thousands of people there. Uh, it came out afterwards that Hamas were planning an attack to fire rockets on the thousands that have gone, had went to the grave of the Baba Sali, but the Israeli security um, establishment had found out about this plan, and uh, it was thwarted as a result, Baruch Hashem, perhaps in the schus of the great and holy Baba Sali. So that was Sunday, the 4th of Shvat. Monday, the 5th of Shvat, was the Yotzeit of the great and holy Sfas Emes, Rabbi Yehuda Leib Alta. The Sfas Emes was born in 1847, and uh, he became the leader of the Hasidic dynasty called Ger. Um, Rabbi Alta, who, uh, he, the name Sfas Emes comes from his book of insights on the Torah, um, with regards to the understanding of Jewish, um, the Jewish view of life, and uh, or he also writes extensively about the Yomim Tovim, the Chagim. He was orphaned at a, a very young age. When he was eight years old, his father passed away. His mother had passed away before then, and he was brought up by his great and holy grandfather, the Chidushe Harim, uh, Rav Yitzchak Meir Alta. And uh, because his parents had died and he was a young child, he was brought up by his grandparents. 
at the age of 23, he was selected by the Hasidim um, of Ger to become um, the Rebbe. In fact, somebody, when he was only 17, um, 17 or 18, his grandfather passed away, and uh, many of the Hasidim wanted him to take over, but he was so young that somebody else was, was the son that somebody else would be the Rebbe. This individual d- died five years later when the Sassanus was 23, and then he became the spiritual leader of the Ger Hasidim, and he built up Ger to be the largest group of Hasidim in Poland before the Holocaust, numbering 250,000. Um, the son of the Sfas Emes escaped the Nazis and came to Eretz Israel, where he oversaw the rebuilding of the Ger community, which remains vibrant and powerful to this day. So, um, it's important to remember who the Sfas Emes was and what his contribution was. Um, he was a, a very brilliant person who inspired many thousands of Jews, not only in, the, in his lifetime, but after his lifetime with his deep and magnificent writings and insights. Uh, one of his great Talmudim was the Sokotra of Rebbe, Rav Avraham Bornstein, um, also known as the Avne Nezer, and he also was one of the leading Torah scholars and poiskim um, of his time. The Avner Nezer, he was one of the individuals who uh, gave a hesped, a very inspiring hesped, a very inspiring eulogy at the funeral of the Sfas Emes in 1905. Uh, they say there were 20,000 people that David Mencha after the funeral in the field. Um, I've actually been there. It's, it's in Poland. It's just outside Warsaw. Um, I've been to the grave of the Sfas Emes. He's buried next to his grandfather, Chidush Arim. Uh, for me, it was a very moving experience because I've been touched very deeply by the Torah and by the teachings of the Sfas Emes. Um, the the Avner Nerza said that he, in his house he has two uh, bookshelves, one for the Rishonim, which were the earlier commentators, one for the Achronim, the later commentators. He said the volumes of the writings of the Sfas Emes written in the 1800s should have been with the later commentaries, but he put them in the bookshelf with the Rishonim. Um, and his, his writings on the Talmud also are essential and are a very big part of um, the modern-day study of the Talmud. One looks at the Perush, at the commentary of Svasemes. Listen to this amazing uh, statement, one of his sayings of Svasemes, which is very beautiful and very powerful. He said, one of the greatest religious problems is that people fear having a relationship with God and consequently distance themselves from him. So there's quite a, a contradiction over here. To have a relationship with God and God is perfect and we are so lowly and then there's such a distance. How is that possible? So the Swasemus goes on and he says, just as angels serve God without fear, despite their lower status in comparison to God, so too human beings should take their model and walk amongst them and not be afraid of developing a relationship with God and serving him. This represents a wholeness that we as human beings are capable of only if we think of ourselves as walking amongst angels. It's a very beautiful statement of the Svasemes that he wrote in Parshas Ba'aloisacha. So I want to share with you a beautiful idea of the Svasemes um, on this week's Parsha and Parshas Bo, which is certainly appropriate, um, as we've just had his 119th Yotzat. Um, we will do so in a moment after the break. 
This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. We're talking about the great and holy Rabbi Yehuda Leib Alta, the Sfas Emes, whose 119th Yotzat was on Monday of this week, on the 5th of Shvat. And uh, I think it is appropriate, therefore, to share some divrei Torah, some words and uh, Torah insights of the Holy Sfas Emes with regard to this week's Pasha. So this week we read Pasha's Bore, which is a very powerful Sedra uh, dealing with the final three plagues that took place in Egypt, upon which, after which, the Jewish people left Egypt and went um, out into the desert. And the Sfasemis says that there's a very interesting dichotomy over here, that on the one hand we see that the Jewish people were on Memtes Share Tuma, they were on the 49th level of spiritual impurity, but on the other hand, when Moses said that God said it's time for us to leave and go, the people got up and left, which was an unbelievable um, level of trust in Hashem. So how can that be that they, on the one hand, on the one day, they were, you know, at the beginning of this whole process, Memtes Sharetuma, 49th level spiritual impurity, the Midrash says, that both the Egyptians and the Jews worshipped idols in Egypt, there wasn't much between them. Yet, they are able to leave Egypt and to follow Hashem in the desert, as the, the prophet tells us, that Hashem, Komar Hashem, Zacharti Chesed Hashem says, I remember your kindness of your youth, Avas Kilosaych, that your love for me in our betrothal times, Lechtech Acharab Midbar, that you walked after me in the desert, to a land that nothing grew, that there was a, a land which was completely desolate. And we're talking about now more than 2 million people. How could it be that these 2 million people, men, women, and children, they had no food? You know, we uh, see, I see people go for a walk for 15 minutes, they take with them a bottle of water because maybe they'll dehydrate. You know, we go for a little drive for 20 minutes, we take because we might die of malnutrition. Here we have two and a half to three million people going into the desert without any food, without any sustenance, completely trusting in Hashem. So the Swasim says, you know what, the story over here where the Jewish people bipolar, the one day they they're worshipping idols, the next day they have complete faith and trust in God and follow God's um, leadership into the desert. The Swasemi says it's not such a difficulty, not such a big problem to understand what happened. Because he says the essence of every Jew is a closeness and a love and a trust in God. We, however, get caught up in the distractions, in the diversions, in the desires that we have in this world. And we, that, that um, mindset and that lifestyle is just a superficial facade for a Jew. And it's an external layer. But if we are able to remove those la- layers of what we call kina, taiva, kavod, 
jealousy, desire, the pursuit of, of power, when we are able to extricate ourselves from that, so we're able to shed those layers and we then become in touch with our essence. And the essence of every Jew is a very deep and powerful connection with Hashem. So Svasimic says that's what happened, that the Jews were, were in Mitzrayim, they were in Egypt, they were affected by the immoral nature of the, uh, of the atmosphere in Egypt and of the life in Egypt and how the society lived and the values and morals of the society had a very big impact and effect on the Jewish people, but it was simple for them to shed that facade and that external layer and become in touch once more with their holy core and with their essence as Jews. And that is a very deep trust in Hashem. And that's exactly what happened in Mitzrayim. And he explains, he says, that can happen, usually that happens with a, a moment of awakening, with an epiphany, with a, an awareness. Um, in this case, it was what we call a gilu shechina. Hashem revealed himself to Klai Yisrael through the ten makos, the ten plagues, and in particular through the plague of the death of the firstborn, and it was such a powerful gilu shechina, it was such a powerful revelation of Hashem's control of the world that immediately this external superficial facade disappeared, was shed by the Jewish people, and they um, were able to, uh, to return to their default position, which is a closeness and a connection and a trust in God. And so and that could either happen with a powerful Gilushina as happened in Egypt, that could happen with their own deep personal revelation, a personal realization of life, of Hashem, of the Creator, of the meaning of our existence in this world. So sometimes we, we have the penny drops and we have that clarity and that brings us back to Hashem and we're able to return to our love and the embrace of Hashem in our lives. Um, and that's something that we all, uh, it's a beautiful idea of the Svasemis, and it's actually a very inspiring idea for all of us because even if we stray and even if we get influenced by the values and by the outlook of the nations of the world, we can always come back fast and we can come back in a very deep and sincere way. Um, it's within the reach and accessible for every Jew to do so. And certainly, I think current events in the world should be leading us to this conclusion and should be leading us home. And we should see that our place as Jews is not with the non-Jews and in non-Jewish society and amongst the non-Jewish value system um, that we find in um, the uh, Western world. But really our place and our home and our identity is with our own people, with the Jewish people. And we see uh, many are going through a, a major identity crisis right now because um, the of the situation that Israel finds itself in and the way the world is completely biased against uh, Israel. And many who were comfortable in liberal circles are finding that they're no more welcome over there and that Jews, uh, the anti-Semitism in the liberal world is quite obvious and clear today. And it's a, it's a big shock to all of us. It really is a... A, uh, quite a eye-opener for, for all of us, and especially those that um, are deeply 
entrenched in that part of society that Jews are being rejected and Jews are being um, are being uh, prejudiced against, um, and we should have a, a, a very deep um, in, a, a very deep calm to think about who we are, what our identity truly is, where we belong, who our people are, and what are the values and morals and worldview of the Jewish people. So this idea of the Swasemis really is uh, very powerful for us today and inspiring to realize that the road back is a short one and, uh, and we could have a very deep awakening and reconnection with ourselves, with our people, with our tradition um, when we uh, go through this process of um, self-identity. Okay, good. So let's move on. Today is the 7th of Shvat. Today, Wednesday, the 17th of January, is the 7th of Shvat. And today is the um, anniversary. It's 81 years today since the final plans for the destruction of the Jews of Greece was confirmed by the Nazis. So on this day, 1943, um, the Nazis uh, made the decision to send the Jews of Greece, primarily from Athens, to Auschwitz. From 1941 to 1943, Greece was under the control of the Italians, who by and large protected the Jews against the Germans. But in 1943, things changed dramatically for the worse. Um, as punishment for Greece's fighting against the Axis, Freedom of movements was restricted for all Jews. Some Jews fled and hid in the countryside, but most were deported to Auschwitz. Jews had lived in Athens since the third century before the Common Era, the longest continuous Jewish presence in Europe. The remains of an ancient synagogue were found at the foot of the Acropolis. In the Holocaust, 77% of Greek Jewry were murdered, 60,000 Jews. Very sad chapter in the history of European Jewry and uh, in the Holocaust. So that's the um, anniversary today, 81 years since the decision was made to murder all the Jews of Greece. Okay, let's move on. And uh, so Friday is the 9th of Shvat. The 9th of Shvat is the 56th Yotzeit of Rabbi Eliezer Silva. He was born in 1882, he died in 1968, and he served the Jewish community of Cincinnati for four decades. Rabbi Silva is best known for spearheading efforts to rescue Jews from the Holocaust. As head of the Aguda Sarabonim, he tirelessly raised millions of dollars. He used the funds to produce counterfeit documents and pay off smugglers in the end, directly saving at least 10,000 Jewish lives. Isn't that unbelievable? How's that? One person who's driven and motivated, his efforts led to the saving of more than 10,000 Jews. In October 1943, Rabbi Silva organized a rally of 200 rabbis in Washington. The effort prompted President Roosevelt to form a war refugee board, which rescued tens of thousands um, of Jews from Hitler's final solution. So he was very involved in the pressure put on the government of the United States and the establishment of the War Refugee Board, which resulted in saving many more thousands of Jews. 
After the war, Rabbi Silva traveled to the DP camps, the displaced persons camps, to help Holocaust survivors start a new life. He also sought out hundreds of Jewish children who had been placed by their parents in Catholic orphanages to spare them the horrors of the concentration camps. Often the parents were killed during the war and there was no one to claim them. Rabbi Silva discovered that the priests operating the orphanages were often unable or refused to identify which children came from Jewish families. So many of these children that were in monasteries or in orphanages, um, nobody came to find them. Nobody knew that, that they were Jewish. They, um, their families were murdered in the Holocaust and they were left in these orphanages and in these monasteries. So what Rabbi Silva did, he came up with a solution. He went into the um, lunchroom, into the dining room. He stood on a chair and in many of these orphanages, he shouted in his loudest voice, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. And suddenly the orphanage was filled with children's cries for their mother. Rabbi Silva looked over to the priest and said, these children are mine. And that's how he identified many, many children after the Holocaust and was able to bring them to Eretz Israel. They were adopted by Jewish families and they were able to live as Jews. So we remember the Yotzite of Rabbi Silva, um, the 56th Yotzite of Rabbi Silva, which is on Friday. And on Shabbos, which is the 10th of Shvat, this coming Shabbos, it's the Yotzite of Rabbi Shalom Sharabi, also known as the Rashash. Um, he was born, the Rashash was born in Yemen and traveled through India onto Damascus before finally settling in Eretz Israel. He's a master Makubal, a great Kabbalist, um, and his uh, Sidur called Nahar Shalom includes many mystical meditations on various uh, prayers and on various mitzvahs. He, when he passed away in the year 1777, um, which is the, it's now the, this year, the 200, on Shabbos, the 247th Yotzeit of the Rashash, um, he was buried on the Mount of, on, on Harazesim, Mount of Olives in Yerushalayim. And also the Shabbos, the 10th of Shvat, is the 10th Yotzeit of Ariel Sharon. Um, Ariel Sharon was the great general of the IDF. Um, his, um, exploits in the Six-Day War and in the Yom Kippur War in 73 were legendary. He was extremely brave, and he had um, his operations were completely unexpected and out the box. He came up with these radical um, plans and tactics in order to, um, to, to make a massive impact on both the Six-Day War and on the Yom Kippur War. He later became Prime Minister of Israel, and it was under the leadership of Ariel Sharon in 2005 that Gaza was given back to the Palestinians um, unilaterally. There were no conditions involved, and Gaza was handed back for complete independence and Palestinian autonomy in Gaza. Uh, two years later, Hamas were voted in by the Palestinian public, and ever since there's been a Hamas dictatorship in Gaza, which has led to the attacks on Israel, on Israeli civilians that have been non-spot, non-stop with the firing of rockets and with terrorist attacks, and obviously the great suffering of the Palestinian people in Gaza. 
Um, the Palestinian people have received billions of dollars of aid. In fact, in proportion, their aid is even more than the Marshall Plan for Germany after World War II. So it's the largest amount of aid in proportion to population in the history of the world. And most of that aid has been taken by Hamas to enrich their leaders and to buy them and their children homes and cars and live in an extravagant lifestyle. And also, of course, to build this vast network of tunnels and to build up their arsenal of rockets in order to attack Israel. So instead of taking this aid from the international community to build up the infrastructure of, of Gaza and to improve the plight of the Palestinian people with regards to their health, with regards to their education, with regards to their services, that money went to uh, waging war on Israel, building tunnels and building arsenals of rockets and of weapons to attack Israel. And so, uh, of course, we see the... Uh, the culmination of that with the the brutal attacks on the October the 7th um, last year and the murdering of 1,200 Israelis and the capturing of 350 um, civilians that were kidnapped and some of them soldiers too and the unbelievable brutality and the, the rapes and the massacres and the murder at the ha hands of these Hamas terrorists and so Israel is now left with no choice. The, the, they gave the people of Gaza a wonderful opportunity to build a better life and to live and coexist in peace and to develop themselves. But uh, that, that uh, opportunity was, was turned into the um, appointment of the voting in the election of Hamas as the leaders and the the uh, the. the the will of Hamas, which is very open and obvious, they, they say so in their charter, to destroy the Jewish people. Their primary goal is to destroy the Jewish people, is to wipe every Jew off the map of the land of Israel, to murder every Jew in the land of Israel. So what is Israel to do? What choice does Israel have? We have a murderous neighbor on the border that was given full autonomy and the opportunity to build a better life for their people, and they choose to wage constant war with Israel and to destroy Israel. And they openly have said that October the 7th is just the beginning and they will, there will be many more October 7ths and they will murder many more Israeli civilians and rape many more Israeli women and take many more is, uh, Jews as hostages. So what is Israel to do? Israel has no choice but to destroy Hamas and to remove their ability to rule in Gaza and to ensure the safety of their civilians like any responsible government and country would do. And so we're in a war, and uh, Baruch Hashem, they're successful in the war. Hamas, the cowards, hide behind civilians. They hide behind civilians. They hide behind children in schools and in hospitals. They are guilty of war crimes and of atrocities. And Israel goes to great lengths to avoid civilian casualties, but they have to carry on and fulfill their mission of destroying Hamas. And uh, we pray that they'll be successful and they'll do so speedily with minimum casualties on, bo on both sides, not minimum Hamas casualties. They must be killed, the Hamas terrorists, but minimum Palestinian civilian casualties and minimum casualties on the Israeli side. And please God, they should be successful speedily. Please stay with us. We'll be back in a moment.
This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. Let's end off with a important idea we learned from the Torah reading this week. Uh, this week we read Pasha's Boar, as I mentioned earlier. In Pasha's Boar we see the final plagues um, and the Ninth plague that took place in Egypt was called Makos Choshech, the plague of darkness. And why was it necessary? There were three days of complete darkness in Mitzrayim in Egypt. People couldn't see a thing. They couldn't see their hand in front of their faces. Why was that plague necessary? Rashi asks the question, and he answers and he says, Rashi says, because there were Rashaim, there were evil individuals, amongst the Jewish people who didn't want to leave Egypt and they therefore died in the plague of darkness. So in order for the Egyptians not to see that Jews were dying as well, now say, look, this doesn't only happen to us, it's happening to the Jews also. So the death of those evil individuals took place in the plague of darkness. Um, It wasn't dark for the Jews, it was only dark for the Egyptians. The Jews were then able to bury them and the Egyptians didn't know that there were Jews that were dying also in the plague of darkness. Rashi, in the beginning of Parshas B'Shalach, says how many of these Jews died, these Jews that didn't want to come out of Egypt. And he says an unbelievable amount. He says four-fifths of the Jewish community, 80% of the Jewish community in Egypt fitted were in this category, that didn't want to come out of Egypt and therefore died in, in Egypt which is quite unbelievable. So one of the common questions asked is why is it that Dasan and Aviram also didn't die in the plague of darkness? We know that Dasan and Aviram were two evil individuals. The Torah calls them evil. They were fighting and Moshe Rabbeinu told them to stop fighting. And uh, they say, why are you going to uh, kill us like you killed the Egyptian? Remember, Moshe saw an Egyptian who was mercilessly beating a Jew to death, and uh, Moshe killed the Egyptian with the Shamus, with Hashem's incantations of Hashem's holy name. And these individuals said, why are you going to uh, kill us as well? So Moshe says, he says, the, the Torah says, then Moshe knew, he knew why the Jews were going through such suffering, because there was so much loss and horror within the Jewish people. And the Torah tells us that these two Roshayim, these two evil individuals, Das and Aviram, informed Paro, told Paro that Moshe had killed an Egyptian. And that's why Moshe had to flee, and he goes to Midian, and he meets uh, Yisro, and he meets Yisro's daughter, Tzipora, and he gets married and lives in Midian. And that saves his life. So the the question is why we know Das and Aviram came out of Egypt also. They they were involved in later episodes that we see. Why is it they were Roshan? The Torah itself says they were Roshan. So if 80% of the Jewish people were Roshan, were evil individuals, and that's why it didn't come out, why weren't Das and Aviram part of those 80%? And the holy Rosh, who was a Rishon, he lived over a 1,000 years ago. The Rosh, Rosh explains, and he says that um, they were indeed wicked individuals, Das and Aviram. However, they had bitachon. They trusted that Hashem would save them. And because they trusted that Hashem would take them out of Egypt, they were zoiche, they merited to go out of Egypt. And the Rosh quotes the Midrash. The Midrash says that bitachon, bitachon means trusting in God. This quality of trust and, trusting in God 
will enable us to see the kindness of God in our lives. As the Pasuk says, Afidu Rasha, Boteach Hashem, Chesed Yesavavenu. That somebody who trusts in Hashem, kindness will surround that individual. Such is the power of Bitachon. So even Das and Avira, these evil individuals, were still Zoyche merited to be a part of the leaving of Egypt for the Jewish people because they had Bitachon. And so it's a very important lesson for all of us that even if we don't have the spiritual merits of working on our character, which is a very hard thing to do, improving our character traits and our qualities, having self-control, doing mitzvahs, learning Torah, these are the activities that generate spiritual merit for us in this world, giving tzedakah, helping others. Even if we're not doing that great um, on that accounting in, in that area, but if we have bitachon, it's the wild card that saves us. It's the key that can, it's the ticket that can get us through having trust in Hashem. And I think that's very important in today's times, in today's world that we're living in, which, as I mentioned, it's just bizarre what we see in the world around us, that Israel, who's attacked and defends herself and does its best to avoid civilian casualties, is accused of genocide by all countries, um, you know, who would do that is South Africa. It's just so hypocritical and it's so ridiculous. You know, the great and uh, virtuous government of South Africa, the ANC, who there are thousands of murders every year in South Africa, which they do nothing about, where they have stolen billions of rands to line their own pockets at the expense of the basic services of their people, electricity, water, complete breakdown in services um, as a result of the corruption and of the incompetence of our government. And they, the ones who assume the moral high ground and accuse Israel of genocide. It's absolutely hypocritical and bizarre. And we see how um, the uh, Israel is really just a, a lamb amongst the wolves. There are 57 Islamic states in the world, and they do all they can to wage their jihad against Israel and to destroy Israel, whether it's militarily, whether it's politically, whether it's economically. And uh, the, there's 1.8 billion Muslims in the world, 24%, a quarter of the world's population against the very small number of 15 million Jews that are in the world, 0.01% of the world's population. And so that's what we face around us. That's what we see. Um, so it's a crazy upside world, isn't it? And things are moving and things are changing and, and Hashem is talking to us. And Hashem is telling every Jew in the world to wake up and to realize that you're a Jew and you're not part of the nations of the world. You have a unique Jewish mission to fulfill. And uh, it's just quite unbelievable how wide that message is around the world, whether you're in the great Western democracies of the United States, of Western Europe, of, of uh, England, of the United Kingdom, of France, wherever Jews find themselves in the world today, Australia, we saw the protests of, in Australia, you know, saying gas the Jews. So wherever we are, Hashem is shaking us up and Hashem is um, making us think about who we are and where we belong 
and what our true identity is. Please stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. We've been talking about the great Sfasemes, whose Yotzad it was this week, and his beautiful idea that every Jew is close to returning back to our roots, to our essence, to our default position of being a holy nation close to God and fulfilling God's will in this world. And we discussed that the, this ability to trust in God and to have a relationship with God is really the silver bullet, is the key to success in this world and in the next world, even if we don't have spiritual merits of our deeds and actions, of mitzvahs, of Torah, of working on our, our, our personality and changing ourselves as human beings. But if we have bitachon, that will get us through. We'll see God's kindness, as the Midrash says, if we have bitachon and trust in Hashem. And this is a, an important time for us to develop our muscle of bitachon, of our trust in God, because we see the unbelievable events that have been transpiring the last few months on the world stage. We see how Israel is the lamb amongst the wolves, how 1.8 billion Muslims are uh, waging the holy jihad, either actively involved or supporting the jihad against Israel and against the Jews, this small nation of 15 million, very small population in Israel, tiny country Israel, smaller than the Kruger National Park with the 8 million Jews there. And so it's an important time for every Jew to think about who am I, where do I belong, what is my mission in this world, is there a God, do I have a relationship with God, do I want to have a relationship with God. Um, many Jews are seeing that they're not welcome in the family of nations in the world. And although they thought they were a part of and a comfortable member of those nations and those societies, uh, we, are see that we see that Jews are being rejected by the world, certainly by the liberal world, um, where the view of Israel and of the situation in Israel is one of oppressor versus oppressed, that Israel are the colonialist oppressors and the Palestinian are the oppressed local population at the hands of these imperialist colonialists. But that is a very false understanding of the situation in Israel that's very far from the facts on the ground and very far from the truth. And more than anything, Israel wants to have peace and Israel wants to live in, in, and coexist in harmony with her Arab neighbors, whether they're Palestinians or any other Arab country in the region. But Israel has a the strongest claim to any land in the world, Israel has. And the Jewish people have been there for more than three and a half thousand years. Israel was promised to our patriarch Abraham. And ever since then, three and a half thousand years ago, the Jews have been there. And it has been the land of the Jews. The Palestinians who live in Israel today are, only came recently. They came about 150 years ago in the late uh, 19th century is when they, they started coming en masse. They were not there before. They are not hundreds and thousands of years in the land. Only the Jews are. And therefore, we have a strong claim, and we, are, we would love to live in peace. 
It's just a question of finding a, a peace partner. As we always say, if the uh, Palestinians and the Arab world put down their arms, there would be peace tomorrow. If Israel puts down her arms, every Jew would be slaughtered in the land of Israel. And so we pray for peace and we pray for the redemption. And we, as Jews, are supposed to have bitachon, trust in God, that God will protect the Jewish people, that God will reveal, reveal himself to the world, that the time will come soon. I don't think it's far away. The time will come soon that the entire world recognizes the oneness of God and recognizes recognizes the spiritual role of the Jewish people in spreading the light of God in the world. So please, God, we should all be on the right side of trusting Hashem. And as a result, we should be zoichet to see the redemption speedily in our days. Thank you so much for listening and have a wonderful day.